I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Wood Talk. Now here are three guys who always turn the other cheek. When cleaning up tenants, Mark, Shannon, and Matt. All right, it is show number 488 for October 21st, 2020. On today's show, we're doing a Q&A show. That means uh, all your questions, actually just a few of them, will be answered on this show. Before we get and to that... And your wildest dreams. Will say come that again. True. And your wildest dreams will come uh, true. Maybe. All your questions answered and wildest dreams come true. That's how I should have worded it. You should have written that there and I would have read it. Oh, well. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that Wood Talk is brought to you by Rockler. Rockler has been helping customers create with confidence for over 65 years. Head over to rockler.com and check out their gift making sale, which includes all the supplies that you need for your gift making season. The sale runs from October 2nd to November 25th. So don't miss it. Hang on. Wrong tab. All right. Do you feel I really like I would know this you by had now? One job. <laughs> one job, right? One job, Matt. One I job. I was trying to set up for the question I'm going to answer later. Anyway, uh, if you want to help support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash woodtalk and signing up to become a patron of the show. Uh, this week, we like to thank Mark Hyman, Alan, is that an L or an I L? Flurry? 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 Okay. Flurry? Kim, Kim Ronnie Roystead? Daniel Beckley and Will Martin. All right, what a great bunch of people! They sound I like pretty those good. People, they are. Yeah, they are good people. All right, so this is all Q and A. We've got some emails, we've got a voicemail, and uh, we're just gonna do our best to answer these questions. So, first one here is from Tom. He says, "Sorry, this isn't a real question. Did I miss a Patreon email announcement? You're back." I'm very happy to hear it and looking forward to more podcasts. All is right with the world again. Well, Tom, good news. You got almost like a whole year, yeah. three quarters worth of shows to go back and listen to now. <laughs> Seriously. That's, and, that's, uh, the way to, that's the way to Netflix right there. You yeah. wait for the whole season to drop and then like three more after that. Binge it. You're good. Yep. And I'll tell you what. Uh, yeah, you did miss a Patreon email. Um, with the Patreon thing, a lot of people, when they go on hiatus or something stops, they just kind of let the Patreon sit there and figure, well, 
you know, if you forget to end your subscription, that's not my fault. I'm going to let you keep paying me five bucks a month. Um, that is not how we do business. So I, (laughs) as soon as we stopped doing the show, I unilaterally went in there and turned off our account so that we didn't bill anyone. So what happens though, when you, when you restart that account, all those people are still there. So I was really concerned about hitting people with these monthly charges without them knowing what was happening. So I absolutely made every effort that I possibly could to make people aware that the show was back. Please go in, double check, make sure you actually want to be subscribed to this before you get charged. Um, so we did make that effort, but you know, email is not the most reliable thing out there. So it certainly could have been something that went to spam. Uh, but yeah, we're back, Tom. Good to hear. Good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Thanks we got a voicemail, uh, voicemail here from Todd. Oh, by the way, that is uh, patreon.com slash wood talk. If you uh, want to get involved on the, the whole Patreon thing with us, go back and listen to my be like again. Tom. <sighs> sure. Go back, roll back to uh, Matt's message. He'll tell you all about it. <laughs> all right. Where's Todd's question. I got a voicemail from Todd. Hey gentlemen, Todd here from Plano, Texas. This question is primarily for Mark, but would love to hear from uh, Shannon and Matt as well. Mark, since uh, moving from Lee Nielsen to Veritas, I'm curious what your experience has been with the new Veritas planes. I'm uh, particularly curious about like the ergonomics in use, uh, but then also some of the innovative stuff they've got, like with the adjuster knob being uh, also the uh, lateral adjustment knob. Uh, thanks uh, in advance. Yeah, love the show and uh, appreciate the content. All right. So funny thing, I had a similar question on the morning show a couple weeks ago. And the guy was asking about the lateral adjustment knob on the block plane and how, how much better is that than, you know, just kind of having to grab the, the back of the blade to kind of skew it one way or the other. Um, and I quickly went to the website and realized that was a feature I didn't even know was there. <laughs> sounds so, like you. <laughs> yeah, that, that is that does <laughs> sound like me. Uh, when you're doing a block plane and you need to make that adjustment, I'm just in the habit of kind of with the back of my hand um, holding it, loosening it a little bit, and then just kind of, you know, with my fingers wiggling that blade one way or the other. Um, having that adjustment knob be the same knob that kind of causes the blade to go in and out, retracts and extends it uh, has almost zero impact on my usage of the tool, um, especially because I hardly ever move the blade. Once it's locked in place, it kind of stays where you want it. Um, I will say that if you're comparing these to each other, uh, I always say that, you know, Lee Nelson is more of your, uh, it's the classic design. They don't really muck with it too much. They just make a great version of a classic tool, like top of the line version of a classic tool. Veritas on the other hand is going to take that classic tool and try to add some modern stuff to it. Whether it actually makes the tool that much better is going to be debatable. Um, you know, like that lateral adjustment knob, is that really making it better? I don't know. It's, it's, it, to me, it's, um, something that isn't totally necessary. It doesn't really make anything faster for me. Um, but it is a cool feature, you know, it was a thoughtful feature and it it does work. It does what they say it does. Um, you'll find with the Lee Valley planes, a lot of times they have those little set screws on the sides so that you can kind of limit the range of motion of the blade. I find that to be kind of helpful and a nice little feature that's on a, a lot of their planes. So for that reason, I like that. But outside of those little creature comfort things, and let's put PMV11 um, out there as well. That is something that if you really just like the idea of PMV11 uh, tooling, you really have no choice, right? You're not going to be able to get that anywhere else. So outside of those things, though, these are both great tool brands, right? I mean, I don't know that when we're talking about like blades on the wood, 
and that's my way of saying like wheels on the ground, (laughs) blades on the wood. Does it really matter? No, they're both great planes. Uh, If I were were blindfolded and I might be able to tell the difference between a Lee Nielsen and a Lee Valley plane in my hands with my eyes closed uh, just by feel. But in terms of operating that tool and the results that I get from that tool makes no difference at all. I think they're both great. I would just go with the one that kind of seems to appeal to your style. If you like the idea of a refresh on an old thing, then go Veritas. If you just want the classics, go Lee Nielsen. I mean, so aside from that, you guys know hand planes um, probably better than me. Is there any compelling reason, like really good reason to go with one or the other? Yeah, I mean, well, no, (laughs) no, I don't really see one. (laughs) There is an ergonomic difference. Lee Nielsen's handles um, are more traditionally shaped, whereas the Veritas handles tend to be a little bit more upright. Yeah. Um, and, And there are a lot of people that that's a big deal to them. Um, I, I have both, I use both on a regular basis and yeah, it makes very little difference to me. Um, I do think the slightly more upright posture, if you will, of the Veritas can actually promote somewhat better plane technique, like weight transfer throughout. But that's like me really like overanalyzing doing what I do, um, and really overthinking it. But I do think that just because the tote is more upright, it's forcing a little bit more balance down into the tail of the plane, but that's such a minor issue. Yeah. Um, and I have to say the, the Norris style adjuster, which is what that is with a lateral adjustments built in the advancement mechanism. Mm-hmm. That's not a Veritas innovation. <laughs> that's been around since like the 1880s on a Norris, Norris um, adjustment planes. And yeah, it's nothing, nothing fancy. Just Veritas decided to make it look prettier. And do you think that adds a whole lot to it? Like I I just, once I found out it was there, I'm like, oh, that's cool. But it's so close to the blade. Like if you're just used to grabbing the back of the blade, so now you're moving your fingers a half inch back and then doing the adjustment that way. I actually feel that I've got more control with a traditional lateral adjuster. Yeah. You know, we have a separate lever. Sure. There's just, I've got more fine tuned control with that. Whereas the Norris adjuster, because it's right there kind of, I don't know, center of gravity is lower or something. I feel like the tiniest adjustment results in a bigger blade movement um, than the lateral adjuster does. I always feel like it it could also be a little bit of a liability, um, especially, I mean, at least on the form factor of the block plane, it's protruding out the back, which is something that the further back that is, the more likely you might be to come in contact with it and push it one way or the other versus when you don't have that in place, let's say like the Lee Nielsen uh, comparable plane, um, you really have to push the back of the the blade, the iron, in order to get it to move. So there's nothing at the back of the plane that could cause the blade to shift. So I don't know if it's necessarily even a, a grand total, a plus. So I don't mm-hmm. know. Something to think about. Food for thought. Okay, Shannon, I think you're up. Uh, Jason wrote in and said, when do you use a cabinet scraper versus a card scraper? Is there one time one of them is inappropriate versus the other? I've got the impression they work the same way with the cutting action. So in theory, I could use my cabinet scraper to smooth tear out instead of thumb tiring card scraper. So just in case anybody's not aware of the difference, card scraper, obviously a little card shaped piece of metal. Cabinet scraper is a spoke shave looking ish <laughs> thing. Um, <laughs> the, the Stanley number 80, it's got the the two arms that, you know, come out to the sides and the cabinet, the scraper blade itself is put in there at a forward leaning angle. Um, yeah, essentially they do cut the same way, but the difference 
you know, the obvious difference is the cabinet scraper has a soul. Um, and, and I doesn't, I don't mean that it's going to go to heaven. <laughs> it, 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 it has a, a flat sole on the bottom. So there is a certain amount of flattening that is imparted by using the cabinet scraper. Grab a, a card scraper and kind of scrape in the same area for like, you know, 30 seconds flat, you know, just 30 seconds there. You will create a hollow on that board real fast cabinet scraper will create a hollow, but it will be a much shallower hollow, or it will actually stop cutting because the sole prevents the blade from diving down into that little hollow that you've created. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a um, hybrid, if you will, between a hand plane and a card scraper. Where, where and why I use them, the, to me, the cabinet scraper has always been less of a finesse tool and actually a little bit more of a rough tool. Um, I like to use it right after I've glued up a panel. Um, it's great for uh, pulling away, to, uh, quickly like hogging away glue that may be on the glue line, quickly flattening things out. It does not have to be a finesse tool at all. Um, it can be good. I mean, certainly it works well for removing tear out and such, but I prefer to tackle tear out on a much more kind of micro scale. And I like to use the card scraper. The fact that I can, you know, the board doesn't have to be the f flat at all. Mm -hmm. And I can remove tear out, you know, over a one inch square area and then move over to another area and tackle that. Um, cabinet scraper to me uh, has always just been a little bit more of a rougher tool. It doesn't have to be. That's just my personal preference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And by the way, you can go to Rockler and you can buy a number 80 cabinet scraper there. Oh, see, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. So they make their own version of the number 80, huh? Benchdog. They do. That's good. And Cause those I, number eighties are not easy to find anymore. Yeah. And I really don't think there's any reason to buy, you know, a Lee Nielsen number 80 cabinet scraper or a Stanley cabinet scraper. Pretty much the same thing. There's, there's very, very few moving parts in this. Yeah. And the sole is so short. There's no amount of precision ground flattening. That's really necessary for this thing. Sure. So, yeah. Well, cool beans. Bench dog crap and scraper. Go support our sponsor. 39 bucks. Oh, that's really? That's not bad at all. Yeah, really? 39 bucks. That's Seriously? Like, wow. That's, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Dang. 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 All right. You guys, you guys good with card scrapers and cabinet scrapers now? Yeah. Yeah, stop shopping yeah. and answer your question, man. I'm waiting for you guys. I'm waiting for you guys to stop shopping and tell me it's time for me to do my question or whatever, because we're going we're gonna to switch from cabinet scrapers to dust collection, apparently. Well, let's do oh, it. All right. This one comes in from Alan. It says, hey, guys, just found the podcast. and I'm already a huge fan. Ooh, quick conversion. I joined Patreon to keep. Oh, so I said his name at some point. Anyway, I joined Whoa. Patreon. <laughs> Sorry if I butchered your name or I didn't. Maybe I said it perfectly. Maybe it's not Alan. Mm -hmm. It was like Edeline. Well, there's a there is an Alan Fleury that you were questioning the L. That could be Alan. Could be. Basically, you get your name like read repeatedly no matter what. Uh, mm -hmm. anyway, need you on Patreon to help keep up the good advice and laughs coming. Uh, my question is on dust collection capacity of use. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. I'll run down the setup I have and want to know if you think this will work or if my collector is not up to task. Uh, well, <coughs> during your mark, I'm turning a mark today. <laughs> it's so funny when it happens to someone else. Oh, only when it happens to me. 
It's not funny when it happens to you. It's just gross when it happens to you. All right, this is... <laughs> I think Matt needs better dust collector. <laughs> the dust collector is a two-horsepower Harbor Freight. It's rated at 1550 CFM. Uh, also has a filter on there. It's got the dust rate canister filter rated for 1250 CFM. And it's got that connected to a bunch of tools, including everything from palm sanders to jointer and a planer. And it's got the DeWalt 735 with an X, the X edition. Current, currently, I roll the tools to the DC and connect using the Dustrite Quick Connect, but I want to switch to stationary tools and run tubing around the garage with a max distance around 25 to 30 linear feet. So here are the questions. Do you think the DC can handle this? How much does distance play in the capability of the DC? And thoughts on having the jointer and planer being the furthest away, but you switch to uh, the standards or something less taxing. So, uh, I started this question because it's it's kind of relevant to like my progression with dust collection and the, the I guess the shop as it kind of grew. Um, so, with the setup you have now, if you go stationary, it uh, it might work okay, like for the stuff you have now, um, and it probably won't that work super great either. The, the other thing too with the sanders, you actually need more like uh, CFMs at the tool than you really do for like the larger chip stuff. Um, so I did a uh, upgrade video when I replaced my uh, old dust collector, which is basically the same thing that uh, he's got here with a three horsepower dust collector, which actually brought my CFMs where they actually need to be. So the first thing off with these CFM ratings with the DC is that's like, it's going to be a little inflated by the manufacturer for one. And that's going to be like with nothing connected to the inlet. So you're going to get some crazy numbers. So just to give you some comparisons on a, uh, let's see here, on a, the planer in my shop has um, about 10 feet of six inch pipe going to uh, six feet of uh, flex hose. And with my old collector, I was pulling a whopping 221 CFM at the tool with a perfectly clean filter, which for a stationary planer is not anywhere near enough. So with Hmm. the, Interesting thing here, though, with the 735, it's got that built-in blower, so that kind of helps things along a little bit. But if you're looking at putting that thing 30 feet away from the collector, you're probably not going to be getting as good a collection as you really could or you really should. And collection of the tools, one of those things you don't really realize, like how weak or how poor your collection actually is until you're in a position where you have the collection where it actually is what it needs to be. So if you're used to, like, stuff shooting out of the planer because your dust collector can't keep up. You're used to clogs in your jointer. You're used to things spraying in the air a lot. Chances are you probably don't have enough actual CFMs at the tool. And the runs, the length of the runs, the size of the, the pipes, the amount of bends in the runs, they're all going to change or possibly reduce the actual collection at the tool. So probably the easiest thing to do, what I would recommend, is to get... A um, anemometer, which is a wind speed meter, and that allows you to mathematically take tests at different areas, and you can kind of see what your actual uh, collection is. Uh, I'm, I will link out to the article I wrote on this on my website. It's got like a nice little table of the actual CFMs between the old collector, which is like with a slightly dirty filter, which is like a sort of real life scenario of my old collector, versus the old collector with a perfectly clean filter. Because like the more you use those single stage collectors, the more your filter clogs, the less performance gets. 
and then going into a three horsepower cyclone, which actually can pull enough airflow in my shop. So if, like if anyone asks me now, a like a two car garage with like a few stationary tools and you have like 25 to 30 foot runs, uh, two horse is not going to be enough to actually get you the collection you actually need, especially out of mm-hmm. something like a drum sander or something like that. Uh, the other thing here with the questions was about running um, like a palm sander through your dust collector. I have done that too. I had I went through the thing like, oh, I have a dust collector. I can put like a little one inch port on it, and I can like uh, hook up my biscuit joiner and my sander, and I have it all in one place. I don't have to use a, a shop vac anymore. And it's like totally different airflow requirements. So yes, you can get okay dust collection through an orbital sander through a dust collector, but it's nowhere near the actual like dust collection you would get from an actual like dust extractor, which is going to have a much higher uh, airspeed. Sure. It always reminds me of that. Uh, you might be too young. I probably this, am. Matt, but the, the Tom and Jerry episode where Tom is sucking through a straw and uh, no, wait, Jerry, wait, who's who? Tom's the cat. Yeah. Okay. And and the, <laughs> yeah. the, the the mouse gets his butt on the straw, whatever, and he sucks it, and the straw just kind of flares out and bends because he can't suck his butt through the straw. You know what I'm talking what? about, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm pretty sure that's one. I wonder your generation is so me. messed up. I know. <laughs> it's Tom and Jerry's fault. <laughs> We're the worst. Look, Tom and Jerry is technically even before my time. It just it happened to be on TV. And, no one, and no one of the boomers are so little. messed up. <laughs> Seriously, do you know how many times Tom dressed in blackface? That show's wrong. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, there's so much. It's <laughs> there's bad so there. much. The funny thing is, we watch. Um, there's a there's a show now, a cartoon that Ava watches sometimes. It's called Cat and Keat, and it is about a cat and a parakeet, and it's basically you know Tom and Jerry for 2020. And you're watching this, going, man, there's a lot of violence in this. And I'm like, well, that's, that's exactly what Tom and Jerry was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, terrible stuff. Anyway, sorry about that. Okie dokie. So uh, Svet- Sveto wrote in and oh, read, read that uh, last a question name about. For us. Nope, I'm gonna skip that. It it starts with an M. Ms. Lijenovic. Ms. Lijenkovic. How's that? I've recently used epoxy to glue up a loose tenon joint. Stock was three quarter inch. Tenons were a quarter inch thick, all hard maple. After the epoxy cured, it was very visible that the epoxy penetrated through the quarter inch of end grain. Is that normal with epoxy? Uh, It was West system, slow hardener. So it had plenty of time to penetrate the end grain. How can I prevent this? Okay. So this sounds to me, if you're not sure what he's talking about, you create that quarter inch tenon on a three quarter inch workpiece. You have two quarter inch shoulders. And those are all end grain. So it sounds like as he spread the glue and then, you know, drove that, that tenon home, either the glue squeeze out or the original coating of the glue on the tenon pushed the glue into the end grain of the shoulders. And that is now visible as staining in the final assembled piece. That's what I got out of this. Yeah. 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 So I can see that, especially with the slow hardener, that stuff is actually very, very loose. It's very runny uh, and it will absorb deep into end grain. So I can absolutely see why this would happen. Um, This is a preventative thing. Ultimately, I don't know, like once it happens, 
you keep sanding, let's say you're sanding right up against that edge, which is not going to be easy to do. Um, you're probably not going to get better results the deeper you go because it, it went in through the end grain, not the face grain. So uh, it is a bit of a problem now. But prevention is everything here. So what I would be very careful to do in the future is to not get the glue on that end grain. So when you're painting the glue on the tenon, just put it on maybe the bottom half of the tenon. Uh, and then when you are putting it into the mortise, most of that can kind of push down to the bottom of the mortise. You just have to be careful not to overdo it because especially if you're trying to fill gaps, you tend to put a lot more in there. But if you put too much, you push that thing in there. What happens? It all just kind of, as Shannon would say, spooges out the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that spooge is what's be causing your problem, spooge. right? So you just have to be very careful with the amount of epoxy that you're putting into that joint and not put too much and then do your very best not to get any glue coming out into that end grain. And keep in mind, you're not losing anything with that. That shoulder as it meets the face grain around the mortise is not really a glue joint. That's not really where you want glue anyway. Um, that's a mechanical strength thing. So you could not have any glue there at all and that joint is going to be perfectly fine. Uh, the other thing regarding prevent, uh, prevention is if you if you need that much glue, if you need to switch to epoxy because it's that loose, uh, consider the, the veneer repair concept that we do sometimes, just grabbing a little piece of commercial veneer or shop scrap material that was cut very, very thin and glue that on to your tenon face. Uh, and that can thicken up that tenon and then you could just use regular, you know, water-based glue there. Um, that's, and that's usually a better way to do it. I'd much rather have a wood to wood contact in that mortise and tenon joint than fill it with plastic. Talking about like, so, like an actual, like the, jet, the joint was loose or like a loose, like a floating tenon. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that's funny. I actually read it as a, as like yeah. a domino joint. A I, loose I read this as joint. a repair situation. Okay. So you guys, you guys might be right. right. Because he says to, to draw the, the connection between the epoxy and the loose tenon joint, I was thinking that's the reason I mean, he's it, using it's epoxy. A valid, it's a because valid way to read it. I'm just, I can see both ways. So I think your yeah. your way is well, valid. Because my as well. response was, why is he using epoxy? I mean, loose tenon, like a domino joint is like hammer tight. Like you don't need a gap filling glue in there. So I imagine it was a poorly fitting tenon joint, is what. Yeah. A wiggle joint. A wiggly yeah. joint. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, though, I think, you know, you could still take the same precautions uh, with that epoxy. And, oh, yeah, and I got a link here if you are interested in getting West System uh, epoxy. That is something that you can get from our good friends over at Rockler. We'll put that link in the show notes for you. Yay. Yay, Rockler. <laughs> All right. Steve said, I'm looking to build a new workbench out of wood from the family farm. <clears throat> we have more pine than we'll ever need and a couple dozen... Uh, Nice post oaks. Oh, barbecue, baby. Screw this woodworking Burn thing. Burn that stuff. <laughs> Give me some of that post oak. I got some brisket to make. All right. That sounds like a good deal, actually. Um, uh, I, so he has a two-part question here. He says, how much will I regret making a three to four inch thick workbench out of green lumber? Three to four inch thick workbench out of green lumber. Ooh. And... Um, when I like this, when I disregard your advice, just wait and let it dry. <laughs> That's a true wood talk listener, you know. <laughs> uh, when I disregard your advice to let it dry, do you expect the splitting and shrinkage eh, to be more bearable with the oak or with the pine? And to be fair, he put the little heh in there <laughs> about the shrinkage thing. Um, yeah, that is a wood talk listener through and through right there. Yeah. Um, I actually I hate to disappoint you, but I was not going to say just let it dry. Um, because, well, I guess it depends upon the, the, the type of workbench you're building, like the, the 
form. Is that the word I'm looking for? Mm. Design of a workbench you're building? Style. Like, but he's saying a three to four inch thick workbench top. So I'm e- immediately thinking like Rubo sure. slab top workbench here. It's okay if it's green, it's going to shrink. But the workbench itself, because there are no stretchers, there's nothing underneath, um, the legs will move in as the top shrinks and they'll move out as the top expands. Now, will those legs be perfectly 90 degrees to the floor, 90 degrees to the top of the workbench? No, they won't anymore. But I still have been trying to find a reason why I care about that. (laughs) I've still been trying to find in in the years that I've been working with my Rubo, needed to have a perfect 90 degree junction between the top of my bench and the front leg. It's just never been an issue. I'm going to tell you why, um, Shannon, because when you put a square up there, it won't be square. That's why. Yeah. And that's the whole reason why. <laughs> Literally, you want to be able to show a square and go, look at me, look at my precision. Look at how square but, that is. You know, it's not like you're assembling a case around the front of the bench, you know, and using your bench as a reference. I suppose if you've done the work to make sure it's square, it could be done that way. But then I'd end up gluing the piece to my workbench or something stupid like that. So, yeah, um, you build it out of green lumber. You know, one thing I will tell you is if it is dead green, um, stand it up and let it let it gravity drain. Like if it has just fallen out of the tree and it's like 80 percent fallen out of the tree, the tree has just <laughs> fallen and it's like 80 percent moisture content. Yeah. Stand Don't those boards up vertically. Sawyer, right. These things will just fall out of trees. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You think these things some of them do. <laughs> some of them do, but then they kill you as they fall. So yeah, that's that's bad. But this whole this whole gravity draining thing, there's free water and there's bound water. And the free water will drain out just under gravity. You'll see a puddle forming underneath the board. Mop up the puddle, put the board back up against the wall, come back 24 hours later. And if there's still a puddle, leave it there. Like mop up the keep mopping up the, the wood, or excuse me, the, the puddle. Because if you leave it in a puddle, it will actually wick back up into the wood via capillary action. But you can actually drain an 80% moisture content board down to like 30% just by letting it gravity drain. And then go to work. Like if you're laminating up this top, the whole top is going to move. There's no doubt. But I really don't think you're going to run into huge issues with a lot of checking. You could certainly seal the ends and kind of control some of the checking. But yeah, I mean, if that lumber is down 30% or 25%, Build, go for it, man. Um, it's actually going to make things a little bit easier because that um, moisture wood is certainly not quite going to be as hard. Mm-hmm. As far as the second part of your question, um, I actually think that the oak would split worse than the pine, um, just because of the oak is meant to split. <laughs> it's it's already designed to split with the the ring porous structure of it. You know, you look at it crooked, it will split. And it's fantastic for making riven parts. But as it dries, the wider open pores are going to kind of create natural perforations. But even then, you know, the key would be to anchor seal the ends of those mm-hmm. um, so that you can slow some of that moisture exchange down to prevent wide open splits. Um, the pine, because of the tracheid structure, is not going to split quite as readily. So, yeah, I don't think it's an answer. I don't think it's a problem either way. But if pressed... Somebody put a proverbial gun to my head and said, what's going to split? I would say the oak would split more readily. I would agree with you because yes. All right. I think oak is far more fickle to dry than pine anyway. Oh, sure. Well, sure. all that said, though, if we're building a workbench and you're, uh, you've got a certain amount of splitting and, and cracking that's acceptable to you, in the end, you still have to answer, which, which would I rather have a bench made out of? 
Yeah. Right. So, I mean, even if the Oak is worse, is Oak still his best choice as a workbench? I think it all depends upon to, to me. It's the, it's the ease factor. Like, yeah. does he have big, thick pieces for both species? Then I don't know. See, I still don't like the idea of Oak. I think Oak is just so porous. Yeah. It's going to capture so much gunk over the years. Um, you just got to have your silicon glue mats from Rockler. That's true. All the time. Yeah. Also, also speaking of Rockler, uh, Steve, you may want to go buy some of that uh, epoxy because you might need a few gallons when all these cracks show up. Some of that end green sealer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, th- there is a school of thought that says build your workbench out of something softer so that your projects don't get dented. And I've never actually been able to refute that. Of course, I have an ash workbench, so I just ignore that advice. Yeah. That's Wilbur um, Pan's advice, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, there you he's go. He's a big fan of it. it. Must be. I think he's got a, a Doug Fur bench, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He's a doctor, so he knows. Well, what you he's know, he knows what he's talking about. That's right. My, pro- my only question with the green bench is like, what if you like leave your hand plane on it overnight, and you well, come back, and that will cause it to rust. You will only do that one time. Done. Yeah. <laughs> you will learn the lesson and not do it again. <laughs> It'll never well, happen I, again. I, well, here's the other thing with oak though, because you have like, there's so much like tannin in there. Like if you get like any kind of um, iron on there, you'll probably end up with like an imprint from your plane in your bench. It's right. Like when I'm, That's when cool. I'm sawing black oak, stains everywhere. Even the pallet forks stain my oak when it's just like, I'm just moving the slab around. You put it down. There's a big black line there. Cause this where the pallet fork was. Yeah. yeah. See, some people have to go to the effort of actually inlaying things into their bench. You don't have to, it's a go. feature. I mean, if you want a blackened oak bench, just kind of put some planes all over the place and there you go. Sure. See, yeah, and if you build you it out a dire bench, oak, like Mark does, I, I don't yeah. do that anymore. That was <laughs> that was when I was younger. I just at this point, <laughs> I I'm just trying the money. to bring this in as many times as possible. <laughs> I was young I was and young. inexperienced. I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I know what I was doing. It's fine. Uh, there's our there's our show title. I was young and needed the money. Yeah, I needed the money. <laughs> you do what you have to do, Matt. Just be thankful you don't you know, have to go to that extent. The worst thing is if he builds the bench out of post oak and it cracks apart, then he can make barbecue. Oh yeah. Send me some of that post oak. So jealous of of you people in Texas. Got all the post oak to play with. I don't know if he's in Texas, but there's, there's post oak there, right? Okay. Uh, who's next me. So this is kind of for all of us. Uh, but I picked this question from Dale. He says, I can't bring myself to Google this. I'm sure the results would be terrible. With all the makers using all of the GoPros to film absolutely everything, there has to be all sorts of awful shop accidents caught on video. Uh, what are you? What are your guys' worst injuries that you've recorded? So this is something I don't really seek out, so I don't know how many there are, but I know that there, you know, a YouTuber that accidentally like lops off a, a, a finger in a video is actually after he gets home, he or she gets home from the hospital, is going. Yeah, this is going to be a great video. Like <laughs> you, can, you can imagine before he goes to the hospital. Sometimes that's right. while waiting Hold on, for let the me ambulance upload or this. calling 911. <laughs> There's duct tape on his finger, but he's this, uh, is, going, this yeah. is going right to TikTok. <laughs> he's uploading it right away. <laughs> um, so here's uh, my answer to this. I, I don't think I have recorded any injuries. Um, I haven't had an injury while I mean, it's been a long time since I've had one, but I certainly haven't filmed it. And most of my injuries are like, I cut myself on the side of a sharp chisel, you know, like that sort of like paper cut type thing. (laughs) So, I mean, 
there, there is a certain point I feel like where injuries are a lot less frequent or you, you maybe know enough and you take enough safety precautions because here, here's the thing when I'm filming, I tend to woodwork a, probably even more safe. I can't figure out what the right sentence structure is for this more safer, more safely, more safely, <laughs> more better. safely, more better. I, more I actually, better. yeah, I pay more attention to where my fingers are and what I'm doing because I'm setting an example. So I am a safer woodworker when and because the cameras are on. Um, so I don't really have as many opportunities to capture these things. What about you guys? I had uh, three stitches in my right palm. Um, actually, it's funny because a couple episodes ago, I was talking about how my uh, turning saw gets kind of annoying because it's so slow. I was using my turning saw <laughs> and I was using it up on a, on a bird's mouth fixture I was cutting a kind of a delicate piece of molding. It was one of those difficult situations where the part itself was so small that there was hard, it was hard to hold onto and still saw. So I kept like shifting it around on the bird's mouth and like just ended up sawing right into my hand. Like I, I did the absolute stupid thing where my hand was in front of the blade. And that was a long way away. But when you're ripping along a small piece, it doesn't take much for you to like fall into a pore pocket and suddenly the saw blade advances like three inches in one stroke. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it did. It went right into the kind of the meaty part of my palm. I can actually still see the scar on my hand, caught it on film. And I, you know, I thought, and it, it really didn't look bad. I mean, you know, it was one of those cuts where it started to bleed like a minute later, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> and it was the same type of thing where you go to the ER and they're like, wow, you have sharp tools. This is a really clean cut. <laughs> nice <Yeah>. job. <laughs> it's like, well done, sir. This is you know, no laceration whatsoever here. <laughs> you can just glue this together, but they put stitches on it simply because it was on my palm and it's, you know, an area that flexes a lot and yeah. works a lot. So they didn't well, want the to Well, the way just... you use it. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh. No, it was my right hand, Mark. So okay. that okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, there's the line. <laughs> Jumped right over it. No, no strangers for Shannon. Uh, but I did, I did film did it. Did they have to shave the hair thought, first? Or? <laughs> <laughs> I figured if we're over the line, I may as well just continue. Oh, that's hey, great. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right never I'd mind forgotten about that little thing the hair's gonna grow that used to be a thing right <laughs> it's great when we used to watch uh, tom and jerry they would tell me that yeah in blackface <laughs> back in those days um, long story short i included it in the video but i'd like i faded to black and said you know public services announcement you know this is this is about to happen yeah. so if you don't want to see it look away but i you know i felt like it was a it was a teachable moment um because it was just one of those things, like if you're working with a bird's mouth fixture or using fret work, you're constantly spinning the wood around. So, but you keep the saw blade going in the same direction. So there are times when your hand could be in front of the saw blade and you have to constantly remind yourself to, you know, if you move the work around, then move your hand. So to me, I took it as a teachable moment. It wasn't, you know, blood and gore or anything like that, but it turned out being several stitches later. Hmm. Okay. And a cool scar. For sure. What about you, Matt? Um, so I, I don't want to say this because like, if I say this this week, I'm going to get like severely injured, but, um, <laughs> I, I have not had any injuries since I've been like making videos, like any, like I haven't had any like serious injuries related to woodworking ever, but I have had some like close calls or some like maybe like minor injuries before I started making videos. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, I got nothing else on film, which is 
It's probably it is, probably good. Well, I think it's a good. Well, thing. I mean, I I think Mark's got the point. Like once you start filming, you like you're hyper aware. You know, in the in the early days, you know, the safety police used to show up all the time. You know, they on, still on, do. On, I don't know how. According to them, I should be dead by now. <laughs> yeah, it's right. True. It's yeah. true. You you do some crazy stuff. Um, but. <laughs> Um, I, I've actually seen quite a fall off in the safety police and maybe that's just because I'm so conscious of it now that every time I do, uh, make a video, I'm like, really what it is, is selective framing. I make sure that they can't see that I'm wearing Birkenstocks while I'm in the shop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's, there used to be the times with the safety police that I would get, uh, comments like, you know, I don't think you should be showing this. I didn't see you wearing a respirator at all in this video. And I'm like, that's because my face wasn't in the video at all. <laughs> like how, why are well, you assuming that there isn't that's, one? That's the thing with the safety stuff. They make, make assumptions on things they can't even see. Yeah. I'm like, this, that was, was I on camera doing that? No. Okay. So you made an assumption about what was going on. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's, that's nice. You just look unsafe, man. Yeah, I just feel it. You're an accident waiting to happen. Right? I've, I've gone through phases. Like when I first started with the videos, it was like, okay, the safety police came out after me of whatever the little thing I did. So I, I changed a lot of things I did, especially like the way I filmed things to make it look safer or whatever. So they would leave me alone because I didn't want the, you know, the narrative to go that way. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do my own thing and you can have whatever opinion you want about it. Because uh, I'm old now. I don't give, I don't, I don't give a, you know, anything. A flying whatever. You know, Matt, I don't mean to make you nervous, but I watched one of your videos recently and I'm pretty sure I saw a gray hair on your, oh, your left I've, temple. It's my right temple and there are three of them. Okay. All right. I, so I did see it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. I, I was looking, each of them. I was looking close. Oh yeah, they're, they're in there. Cause they're I'm, coming. I'm waiting to welcome you to the club. I'm going to look like you and very soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the stress of those chair kits is going to cause it. That's what's going to happen. Yeah, right. I got one gray hair for every kid and then I'll have one gray <laughs> yeah. hair for every chair kit. There you go. <laughs> so good, good. Uh, Ronkler tie in here for this injury discussion yeah, is the, I um, see how you make this work. Yeah. The micro spun towels. If you do wind up cutting yourself, these are probably really absorbent. <laughs> Oh my god! So <laughs> they're, they're probably. Should we check the reviews for absorbency? Yeah, soaked. Uh, Bob H says soaked up all the blood. <laughs> so there you go. Oh lord! <laughs> Great for cleaning up bodies. Uh, uh, yeah, soaks it all up real good. All right, Shannon, you want to do our last question today? Uh, no, I'm I'm actually reading the the reviews of these. It's not good for oh. wiping Polly, by the way. These are these are terrible. Had to deal with lint while using these. A regular T-shirt works much better. Well, look, if you're hey. soaking up blood, who cares, right? That's true. Yeah, a little lint in the cut won't hurt nope. anything. Just wash that out. Okay, Francis sent us like a, a long lecture, so I've I have condensed here. But he says oh, he basically wants to store his hand planes under his workbench. Um, and he, he described several instances where he's got his planes in a wall till, and he described several instances where little mishaps caused either the plane to fall out and hit the floor, or one time he actually stood up and bumped into it and yelled so loud that his wife came running thinking he'd really hurt himself. Oh, so there's, there's some, there's some compelling evidence saying that I should store them somewhere else. But he said, um, you know, is there a problem with storing it under the bench? It seems like kind of a novel idea because I haven't seen anybody do it. So there's probably a reason it's not been done. And he's building a split top Rubo right now. So he was wondering, like, would the use of the bench cause like vibration and like little tingly parts, you know, 
clinking together under the bench. If you're using it right, it should tingle. (laughs) There we go. Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to stop. Just let you guys finish the show today. So, first of all, I'm going to let you finish. (laughs) I don't think this is a novel idea. Mm. Like, how many times did we see under workbench tool cabinets? Um, I've seen this a lot. I I, like I know I've seen magazine uh, covers with workbenches with hand planes. I've seen this a lot every time I walk in my shop. Well, yeah, I don't have hand planes in there, though. Like just a plane, a plane till uh, at an angle. I've seen that quite a few times under benches. Well, I can just remember like in a pre Schwarz world before the blue workbench book came out, like and everybody had like the German cabinet makers workbench, the Scherberg bench or whatever. They had a cabinet underneath that mm-hmm. you put your tools on. That was kind of where you did it. The problem I see is if you just have an open till under there, especially with a split top, you're going to be dumping sawdust and chips and all kinds of schmutz on those things all day long. And wood is hydroscopic, folks. So it's going to collect moisture and it's going to cause those planes to rust. So you're going to want to constantly be cleaning them off. So my thing is, if you're going to put a till under there, put a lid over it. In other words, build a box, you know, and if it has trays or something in there, that would be your better solution. Even if it's not planes, even if it were, you know, a place to stick screwdrivers, I think you would want it to be enclosed because it's just going to get covered. I've got, I don't even have a split top. Rubo. I've got a solid top and everything on the shelf under my bench is covered in shavings and dust and everything. Mm -hmm. So I just make a habit of not putting anything that, you know, is going to rust down there, but also just, you know, I don't want to have to constantly be digging it out and blowing off all the dust in order to use it. So the stuff that goes under there is like my bench hooks and things like that, that you just pick up and you dust off and you move on. If I put any tools under there, I would want to put them in some kind of enclosed cabinet just to keep the the dirt down um i don't think you'd have really any issues with it like shifting around and clanging together um unless it's a really lightweight bench in which case the bench itself would be you know difficult to work on because the bench itself is moving around and that kind of sucks so otherwise i think you're good to go Mm -hmm. yeah i can tell you with my under cabinet um or under workbench cabinet that i made it's loaded with dust. It's got tons of crap on top of it. So anything on top of there is also loaded with dust. So yeah, that's definitely a dusty area. Compressed air is helpful for that. Okay. Yeah. I think that just about does it for us. Remember that we are proudly sponsored by Rockler. Rockler is a family owned business since 1954. They're your go-to source for high quality and innovative woodworking tools, finishing supplies, hardware, lumber, and expert advice. Whether you're building a simple bookshelf, a custom desk, or new kitchen cabinets, Rockler has everything you need to make your next project a success. Visit rockler.com and use the code WOODTALK, all one word, to receive free shipping on most orders over $39. Yay, Rockler! (laughs) Go, Rockler! Okay, folks, this is a QA show, right? Can't do these QA shows without cues, Mm -hmm. so send us cues. Go to woodtalkshow.com. That sounded very like, I don't know, my cousin busy. Send me a cue. Huh? Hey, send us those cues. Come on, Mark. Over here. Yeah, give us give us your best Trenton accent. <laughs> so you got you to gotta go to woodtalkshow.com, fill out the form, and there's your question. And we'll answer it sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. No guarantee how long it'll take us. You can also record a voicemail, and you can email that to woodtalkshow at gmail.com. Dot com find us on instagram dm us there all kinds of fun plays we are wood talk show there as well sweet and that's it yeah. i got nothing good, good i'm out all right well thank you for listening everybody we will catch you next time Bye-bye. bye bye
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.